Let us pray. Come, thou almighty King. Fill our hearts and lives with your presence that we would be conformed more and more to the image of God the Son, Jesus Christ. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning, everyone. You may be seated. Good to see all of you this morning. And again, good morning to everyone watching on the live stream as well. We're so glad that you've joined us. I want to invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them and turn to the 15th chapter of John's Gospel. We'll be focusing on verses 1 through 8 today. And as you're turning, just a reminder that this coming Thursday is Ascension Day. So we will be having our Ascension Day service at 7 p.m. this coming Thursday night. Um, child care will be available and would love to see all of you come out for that as we commemorate and celebrate our Lord's Ascension back to his etern rightfully eternal place at the right hand of God the Father as the eternal God, Son of God. As I indicated last Sunday, we're continuing today with another I am saying of Jesus. Today in St. John's Gospel, chapter 15, we're looking at Jesus' statement, I am the vine. This is the final I am saying found in John's Gospel. And like our saying from last Sunday, I am the way and the truth and the life, this statement is found in the larger body of Jesus' teaching known as the Upper Room Discourse. Again, that that teaching that John records in his gospel in such great detail on the night that Jesus was betrayed, almost a third of the material in John's gospel is from the upper room discourse. But much of what Jesus said on that night when he was betrayed is focused on the future, whether it was the immediate future, his betrayal, and the things that were about to happen, or the promise of the coming comforter, the Holy Spirit, or the persecution that his disciples would experience in a world that hates them because of the gospel. In contrast, however, what Jesus says in John 15 verses 1 through 8 speaks of present reality, not just the future or just future promises. And this reading is especially appropriate as our gospel today, which is Rogation Sunday, the sixth Sunday of Easter, that's today, and the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday between now and Ascension Day, so this Monday through Wednesday, are known as Rogation Days. They are days of, that are to be set aside for fasting and prayer, focused on God's protection, especially as it relates to the season of planting crops. Rogation come from, from, comes from the Latin word rogatio, which means to ask. So we are asking God for his protection. We are asking God for his blessing again, especially in this planting season. Now, traditionally, what would happen during rogation days, both in the Catholic and the Anglican church, is that the priest, the parish priest, and this is back when you had geographically identified parishes, would do what they call beat the bounds of the parish, which means he would actually vest and process around the boundaries of the parish and also around all of the farm fields, the agricultural fields, reciting the Psalms and the great litany, asking for God's blessing and protection on the planting season. And the reality is even though we are a little bit more detached from agriculture here in our immediate context in Northern Virginia, we do need God's blessing for the growth of crops, just like people all over the world do. And we also need God's blessing 
for spiritual growth and the produce of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the life of our church. Brothers and sisters, we need God's divine assistance to live and cultivate good and godly things in our lives. And the intimate union between the vine and the branches here is absolutely essential because apart from being connected to the vine, there is no life. In other words, you cannot be and are not a genuine Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, apart from being connected to the vine, Jesus Christ himself, who is our life. And we must also understand that there is nothing futuristic about this connection of the vine and the branches. It was a present reality for Jesus' disciples, even in the upper room, and it can and must be a present reality for every single one of us. So in our time together this morning, I want to first look briefly at Jesus the vine and what this passage reveals about his relationship to the Father. And then second, I want to spend the largest portion of our time looking at Jesus' words here and what they teach us about our relationship to him and about our bearing godly fruit as Christians. So let's talk first about the vine and the Father. In verse 1 here in John chapter 15, we have a word picture of Jesus as the vine. Jesus specifically says, I am the true vine. He's making it clear in saying this, that he is the true vine, that there may be other people who claim to be the way to God, or there may be other systems of belief claiming to lead to God, but they are false. He, Jesus, is exclusively the right and right way, right what the way, excuse me, to right and saving relationship with God. He is the only way to the reality of forgiveness and eternal life. As John chapter 1, verse 17 reminds us, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus, the true vine. This is the main point and focus of verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 also reveal to us the perfect unity of relationship between God the Father and God the Son in their work in the lives of believers. Look at verse 2 with me. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The Father is portrayed here as the gardener, or more specifically as the vine dresser, as some translations would say. And the singular focus and emphasis here is on bearing godly fruit. The branches representing believers that are attached to the vine must bear much fruit. This is the only reason the vineyard exists. Without producing fruit, it is useless. And we read here that the Father takes away, or as some translations say, cuts off every branch that is not fruitful. In contrast, every branch that does produce fruit is pruned so it will be even more fruitful. And it's very important to note here that the words for take away or cut and the word for prune are very different and distinct. The word for prune here not only means to trim, its primary meaning relates to cleansing, specifically to cleanse from sin and ungodliness. And this is exactly what God does in us as we grow 
and bear godly fruit. He continues his good work in us. He trims the sin and the unfruitful works from our lives. And he also trims those areas that while they may not be explicitly sinful, actually they may be something that is actually not a bad thing, but he trims those things if they hinder us from growing in our relationship with God. I know I talk and use illustrations from growing dahlias a lot, so please bear with me, but today's a good day for one of those illustrations. And uh, many of you know I learned a lot about gardening from my grandfather who gardened until he died at the age of 89. And my, my grandfather um, somehow never did gardening in moderation. Um, you know, he planted tulips, but he did what most of the rest of us don't do, that, but that you're really supposed to do. He dug his tulips every year and divided them so that they didn't get too crowded and so he had more to plant. But let me put this in perspective. My grandfather purchased and planted 1,200 new tulips the year he was 87 which makes my knees and back hurt just thinking about it, even now. And then he would dig them all up in the fall. But he also grew dahlias, and as a, as a kid, I learned um, the importance of staking dahlias to support them, but you have to pinch the center um, shoot out, um, and whether you're trying to grow big, big plants or, or, or big varieties or smaller varieties determines how many shoots up. You, you pinch the center, you can do two up, to five up, that's Dahlia Grower talk, which I'm way off in left field here. Um, but you had to pinch that, otherwise the plant would get very tall and straggly and, and almost like a vine. You also had to pinch blossoms. Every Dahlia shoot has three buds. You always pinch the outer two buds, leaving the center one. But then if you want to cultivate Dahlias for showing, um, which I do, and Tammy reminds me that while more women grow dahlias than men, more men show dahlias because men just need to be competitive. Um, I actually disbud, and many of us do, not just those two, but anywhere from two to five laterals down, which would all be blooms. But you have to take those blooms off to get that one really good bloom. And I think that is a picture of what God in his work in us is doing as we yield to him. He takes away things, even some things that can be good and pleasant and beautiful in order to cultivate and grow the very best in us. Verse three gives us insight into how this pruning of God works and happens. It happens as we yield ourselves to God's instruction, the entirety of God's instruction, meaning the teaching of Jesus and the entirety of scripture, God's holy word. It means the conviction, leading, and guidance of the Holy Spirit, which will always completely agree with God's written word because he, as God, has inspired the writing of that word. And the idea of being clean here is more than just cleansing from sins. It means, like that pruning of days, the removal of anything from our lives that prevents us from bearing more and the greatest fruits. It's a concept that St. Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, where he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. It's about who and what has control in our lives. And sometimes, actually in the world we live in, I think often even seemingly good things can keep us from God's very best in our lives. 
So while the focus in verse one through three is upon Jesus as the true vine, the father as the gardener, these verses really set the tone and establish the focus for the remaining verses, which is on bearing fruit. In verse five, Jesus says again, I am the vine. And he continues by saying that you are the branches. You, believers, disciples of Jesus. That means that every single one of us who is a believer, that means every single one of us who is a believer. And the focus from verse four onward is really upon the vine, Jesus and believers. Well, let's take that more personal. It's about the vine and you, or the vine and me. And this relationship is all about producing godly fruit. Producing godly fruit in our lives and then through the outgrowth of the work of God in our lives, fruit is sown and produced in the lives of those we touch with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. So I want to focus the remainder of our time today on the vine and you, the vine and me. It's all about producing fruit. And there are four truths on our being connected to the vine and producing fruit, which I think we see in verses four through eight. The first one is this, verse four. Producing fruit, it requires remaining or abiding in the vine. Look at verse four with me. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What kind of fruit does God produce in our lives? Well, I think the list in Galatians chapter five gives us a pretty good idea. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In Philippians chapter one, verses nine through 11, St. Paul says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Philippians 1.11 speaks of the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And the image of fruit here is a word picture God gives us in Scripture. A picture of what things are produced in our lives as we walk daily with God, growing in our faith. And I think it's interesting that both the Philippians and Galatians passages I just read either emphasize or begin with love. That is the first fruit a true living relationship with God through Jesus Christ produces godly love. First love for God, for the things of God, love for his truth and his work in our lives, and then through God, love for others. It means loving it even when God prunes us, which is sometimes uncomfortable or even painful. C.S. Lewis, talking about this kind of work of God in our lives, uses the example or the image of building a house in writing about how pain transforms us, where he says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you are not surprised. But presently he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abdominally and does not make, seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? 
the explanation that he is building a quite different house from the one you thought of, or excuse me, the explanation is that he is building a quite different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building up a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. Bearing fruit requires abiding and remaining in Christ. Salvation is not a one-time experience. Yes, there is that moment of coming to true faith and salvation, but remaining or abiding speaks of a life in God which is ongoing and real and vital. Not some hollow shell based on a past experience with God that is now absent of any real life or vitality. It's constant. It's ongoing. It's habitual. which raises the question for you and me that we need to ask ourselves, how are you abiding? How am I abiding? Um, the, the folks in the Wesleyan holiness movement in the 19th and even the early 20th century, which was Methodism, but also um, a number of different groups that evolved and developed out of that, used to have two things they asked each other. And this was not just rhetorical. They meant it very seriously. They would ask each other, how goes it with your soul? And the other question they would ask is, is the fire still burning bright? Which are really ways to ask, how are you abiding in Christ, in the vine? Second, bearing fruit is supernaturally normal. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When we're connected to Jesus, we will produce fruit. It's a normal thing by God's supernatural work in us. Not fruit produced through our own efforts. Not a matter of works or trying to do this in our human strength, but actually just the opposite of that. It's a matter of you and me continually yielding to God's work in our lives. And the more we yield, which is another or a nice way to say, the more we surrender, the more pruning we invite and allow and open ourselves to God to do in our lives, the more fruit he produces. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But brothers and sisters, that should be freeing. That should be liberating because it's not about us. It's about him. It's about his work in us. It's about death to self and life in the son. As St. Paul writes in Romans chapter seven, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. We, as disciples of Jesus, belong to Christ. Our lives are his. And the life-producing flow of the vine, Jesus Christ himself, produces good and godly fruit in and through us. The fact is, it's not possible to bear any godly fruit apart from Jesus Christ because it's supernatural. And this fruit-bearing is normal, supernatural Christianity. The third thing we see is bearing fruit is not optional. Look at verse six. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This verse really ties back very closely to verse 2 where we read, He cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit. A branch that does not produce fruit is lifeless even though the life of the vine once flowed through it. It again emphasizes the concept of abiding and remaining, ongoing, continued, vital relationship with God. See, the Christian life is it's very much like riding a bike. Either we're moving forward or we're falling off. You ever try to sit upright on a bike and balance it stationary without moving? You're going to fall and crash. But it's very clear that the branches that were connected to the vine are now cut off. Why? No evidence of life bearing in them. No fruit. And then fourth and finally, bearing fruit. The proof is in the product. Look at verses 7 through 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As we continually abide in Christ, we reflect his heart, his character, and his priorities in our lives. It comes as his words, as this, the verse says here, remain in us. Then whatever we ask is given. And to be clear, whatever here is not unqualified. Whatever here is certainly not self-serving or narcissistic or hedonistic. It contains no sense of self-indulgence or self-promotion. Rather, anything here speaks of anything that enhances the godly fruit in our lives, that enhances our growth in producing fruit as Christians. Anything here means anything that makes you and me more like Jesus. Verse 8 makes the focus clear. The focus is on Christ. Bearing fruit points to Christ, not to us. Bearing fruit means our lives bring glory to God. Bearing fruit means our lives show that we belong to him and through him that fruit and the life of the spirit in us touches other people. So I think the question for all of us is how are we abiding? How goes it with your soul and my soul? Is the fire still burning bright? And if I'm not abiding in Jesus the way I ought, then where is it that I abide? And again, remember, especially in this culture and the world we live in, we are surrounded with things that are bad, but we're also surrounded by lots of things that are good. But too much of a focus on those good things can keep us from God's best. If I'm not fully abiding in Jesus, where am I abiding? Is it in job and career and climbing the ladder? Even to the neglect of the work of Christ in my life? Is it in entertainment or sports? Is it in making money? And I'm, this is a partial list. You ask God to speak to you. 
acquiring things, a bigger house, a new car, having more and more and get, get, get? Could it even be friendships? And we need to have friendships with people that aren't believers, but, but we need to make sure that, that those friendships are in a way, ordered in a way that they're not sucking the spiritual life out of us as well or causing us to go down a path that is taking us away from God. There are a lot of good things we're surrounded by and a lot of things that our culture and even some folks in the church would affirm that may keep us from God's very best. And I want to take a moment um, and hear my heart in this. I want to speak to parents too. You, we, because I'm one of us, we are first and foremost responsible for shepherding, discipling the hearts and lives of our kids. Yes, the church comes alongside and does that with you, but Father Jed would affirm this. Our role is to come alongside and strengthen and also to enhance that, that parental relationship at home and to build up, help build you up and support you as you are the primary disciples, as we are the primary disciples of our children. But what do we emphasize with our kids? What do we emphasize even as they grow older and look to colleges and that sort of thing? And I am all for education and I'm all for folks going into careers. But do we emphasize that in a way that neglects spiritual formation or actually sets up a competing agenda with godly formation in our kids' lives and sometimes maybe encourage them because this seems like the most secularly productive career path, but it's a path that's going to take them away from a vital walk with God, we have to shepherd them in those ways. What do we say to them when we do church or spend time with the Lord as a family when we don't have something else going on? As if God comes after all those things when we can fit God in. That, that's a messed up order. And we get what we expect. Not that we have total control over our kids serving the Lord. We don't but we have a lot of control over what we model to them as being first priority. Are we communicating to them that growth in godliness, that spiritual fruit, that being committed to God needs to come above and beyond even other good things that might even suck the life of God out of us or become huge distractions. When we allow any of these other things to become the place where we abide in part or in total, we're looking to other things and other people to provide only what we can find in Jesus. And looking to these other people or things will do the very opposite of what we actually want. Because instead of building us up, and this is not about just here and now, and our hedonistic culture, we get so focused on the here and now. This is about now and for all of eternity. But as we look to these other people or things in a skewed way or a way that sets up a competing agenda with God, instead of building us up, instead of building our children up, building our families up, building our church up, it sucks the life out of us. It sucks the spiritual life out of us. It becomes like a big anchor that drags behind us and holds us back from all the good things that God has and wills to do in our lives. I know this is hard stuff and I say it with all humility because I don't get it all right. Please, <laughs> I don't get it all right. Just ask my wife. Um, 
ask Father Jed or the staff. <laughs> um, but I think we need to be very mindful of this. And we need to ask ourselves afresh, really afresh this day, how goes it with your soul? Is the fire burning bright? And where are you and I abiding? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good and gracious work in our lives. Thank you for your love for us and thank you for the reminder that apart from you, we can do nothing. But thank you also for your promise and fill our minds with this even now that you withhold no good thing from your children. You withhold no good thing, good thing from those who love you. Meaning those things which will foster our growth and our connection to you. So Lord, search our hearts even now. Speak to me first. Speak to each of us, Lord. Speak to us as a church. And show us those places where things or people or stuff or priorities have set up competing agendas. Whether they be sinful things, whether they be things that are seemingly good that keep us from the very best of your good and gracious work in us. And Lord, in your great mercy, prune us. Even if it hurts, trim those things out of us, Lord, so that we can blossom into the fullness of life and fruitfulness that you call us to and that you will for our lives and for this church. So that through the life of Christ in us, the life of your spirit, our lives would touch others, that they too would be transformed, become fruitful disciples of Jesus. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.